Well, words are really powerful, aren't they? Just like that video that we just watched is a pretty powerful example of a school where the West High Bros have come in and through the use of words have changed an environment of a student population. And it's touching a lot of other people's lives. And you just think about it. Wouldn't it be cool if you had Wayzata Free Bros? If we had Wayzata Orno Hopkins, I mean, I can name all the school bros. If we had workplaces, bros, if we had family, bros, where lives were changed because of the words that you used. Words are really powerful. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, the Amplified Bible says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. Your words, the words that you speak, have incredible power. They can leverage something into great goodness, or they can leverage all kinds of hurt and all kinds of of evil, all kinds of things that harm and destroy. I received a text early on Thursday morning, and usually Thursday is the morning that I, I just kind of, I, I tell Dee, my administrative assistant, you know, that morning and sometimes in the afternoon, depending how long i got to do it, I actually kind of write out the manuscript of what I'm going to be speaking, the stuff that I studied the, the days and even weeks, some of the stuff months before as I've been reading and putting together, and I put it together kind of as best I can. Uh, my first draft, and I got some words on a text, and, and I, I looked at them as I was coming out of my quiet time, and they honestly, because usually I come out of that, and I, I, I'm in a place where I'm, I'm, my heart's soft, I'm excited, I'm kind of hopeful, and ready to write, and, and uh, 20 words just derailed me. They floored me. And I... I had to try and recover and, and deal with that and, and, and to work through that. And I don't know. I'm sure many of you have experienced things like that. I'm sure you've experienced the incredible pain of some words that um, were maybe foolishly spoken and sometimes even evilly kind of sent your way where it crushed your trust. It broke your spirit. It knocked the wind out of you. It could be words like, I don't love you anymore. Or thanks for the application, but. And you've heard that but maybe 15 times. Or sometimes it's not even a full word. It's just a little letter on top of a page of a paper that's handed back to you in a classroom. And it has a little letter what? F. Words have incredible power and great impact. And I'm sure some of you have been on the other side of the point of a word that is that, that, that dagger of a word pierces your heart and feel great grief and pain. And I'm guessing some of you have actually, because I have, taken the, the actual handle of that dagger and put someone else at the other end of the point of that and, and pierced their heart with grief. I, I was reading, you know, we, all kinds of people use their words in ways that hurt. And I was reading these uh, names, and they all have something in common. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez, Brad Pitt, Madonna, Justin Timberlake, Taylor Swift. And he, besides star power and money, guess what else they have in common? These are all celebrities who have publicly shamed an ex. 
have used their words to hurt. Ben Affleck dissed Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez dissed Mark Anthony. Brad Pitt dissed Jennifer Aniston. Madonna dissed Guy Ritchie. Justin Timberlake dissed Britney Spears. Taylor Swift pretty much disses every former ex. And even says at the Grammy Awards, it says that when she was there, she adopted a mock English accent at the Grammy Awards. And many interpreted the gesture as a diss toward her most recent beau, British boy bander, Harry Styles. And she says, so he calls me up and he's like, uh, I still love you. And I'm like, um, I'm sorry. I'm busy opening up the Grammys. I mean, I'm just like, who talks like that? Anyway, um, but you may be a person who's felt the pain of some kind of words that have hurt you deeply by an ex. And there's all kinds of exes in our life. There's something about exes that can really hurt. It doesn't have to be just an ex-spouse uh, or an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. It can be an ex-employee or ex-employer. It can be an ex-teammate, an ex-coworker, an ex-whatever. Ex-board member. On the other hand, I'm sure some of you have experienced the the wisely spoken words that have breathed life into you, like we heard a few moments ago. Words that just inflated your heart. When someone comes up to you and goes, you look beautiful. Or someone says to you, I'm just so proud of you. Or you have someone um, comes to you and you know, would you take this project? I really believe in you. Or maybe you've had this experience where you've blown it a number of times with someone you really care about and you're standing before them and you've hurt them one more time. You're just you're not trying to get out of it. You've really taken full responsibility and, 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 and have asked for forgiveness. And you look them in the eyes and they look at you and they go, I, I forgive you. And you've experienced a sense of peace and joy. Well, Proverbs, what we've been looking at is what I call streetwise. And this lady wisdom, as we read in Proverbs 1 and also Proverbs 8, says, I shout to you from the corners. I shout from from, from um, the busiest places in the intersection. And anybody, anybody here who has an open heart and is willing to receive, who is humble and says, I want to understand and be really wise. According to Proverbs, lady wisdom says, I, I will give you that wisdom. And in one of the areas Lady Proverbs speaks to us is about words. Proverbs has much to say about what we say. There are terms, tongue, lips, mouth, words appear nearly 150 times in Proverbs alone. And then if you open it up to the wisdom literature of Psalms and Job and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and those wisdom literature books, it's replete with these same terms. It's kind of funny when I was doing this message and I sent it over to Andrea, who puts these some of the points up on the, the screen and the verses. Um, when I went up, I saw Joel and Andrea and they both said, boy, it was a lot of scripture this week. And I said, yeah, because there's just a lot of scripture on what our mouth does. And so what I want to look at words in the sense that we can use them with wisdom or foolish or we can even use them wickedly. And so to use your words both wisely and effectively, there's, first of all, there are, according to God's word, you need to know the source from which your words come. And with that, you need to be aware of who is speaking. When those words are coming out, who is speaking at that moment? And then to talk about um, understanding how you can use your words in a right or a wrong way. And so if you really want to use your words wisely, it's really important. The first thing you begin to do is say, okay, these words, where do they come from? James 
has some riveting thoughts around this whole idea of words. And James is an interesting letter in the, in the New Testament. It's a practical one. It's like Proverbs of the New Testament. It all deals with behavior. There's not a lot of stuff in one sense about heart, and people don't realize that. But what it talks about is behavior. And, and those of you who are Proverbs kind of people, how many you love James, right? You love Proverbs. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, James says this, the tongue is like a fire in James chapter 3, verse 6. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. And James is right. The tongue provokes and provides a spark, and that spark ignites a fire that can just burn out of control in either conversations and in communities or actually in the heart of someone else where it set that fire. And yet to blame all the evil on the tongue and the behavior alone isn't really quite fair because there is a source that's deeper than just your mouth. There is a source from which it all comes. And Jesus talks about that. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says this spark comes from someplace. It comes from, as it says here, a good man brings out good things out of the good stored up. You see all these good, good, good in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or as I remember learning it, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. It's just like, it's like a spring that's bubbling up. What's down in that spring, if it's salty kind of water, it's going to be salty. If it's sour, it's sour. If it's sweet, it's sweet. So our mouth is a behavioral response to what's going on in our hearts. And so if you're going to really look at the mouth, we have to just start and stop at a point and go, what is going on with our mouth? And you have to realize if this stuff is coming out, something needs to happen in our heart. And the word of God is really clear on this. Every heart is foolish and evil. There's not one that is not foolish or evil. And that is why Jesus came. That's why we need Jesus so badly, because he knows that we are sinful people, that we don't we don't react in ways that really build up and and bring life. We really often react out of the hurts and wounds that we've had. And so Jesus come gets wounded on a cross so that he can heal the wounds in your heart. So you don't have to spew out this stuff any longer. And he's so loving and so kind. So I'm just, I just appeal to you if you maybe are coming for the first few months or first few weeks or you've come in for a long time. If you've never come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I so need you. I recognize now it's not about behavior. It's not about reading another self-help book. It's about reading a transformation letter that comes from Jesus that says, I love you so much. I recognize you. God the Father loves you so much and understands. Understands the wounds in your hearts. Understands the things that have happened. Understands that you are prone to. You are inclined to evil. And you know what? I will come and I will give you a brand new heart if you want it. And so if you've never done that, you've never said to Jesus, Jesus, I need my heart to be healed. I need a new heart. I need to repent of of the things that I've said and the things I've hurt people with. I need to go through that process. And right now, today, you can actually invite the Holy Spirit of God through the saving life of Jesus into your life. And he can change your heart. So that's the source. James is right. 
But you need to realize James isn't speaking necessarily to people who are in the place where they don't realize about this new heart. He's speaking to people in a community of faith who who are prone to saying that I've had a new heart and now their behavior doesn't match up to their heart. So James does what you need to do. If you claim today that you have a new heart, that you, you know, I remember a time when I was so convicted of my sin and I repent and I asked Jesus in the spirit into my life and I eh, thank God for that. But yet you have your mouth still spewing out stuff. You need to get in touch with what's going on in your heart. And that's what James is talking about. Jesus says a few verses before this, he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes for grapes from briars. If the root is good, in time, through the work of the God, through his Holy Spirit, the fruit will begin to be good. And you will recognize the tree by the fruit. So, do you have a new heart? Have you ever done with that, that business with, with Jesus? I mean, he's not here shaming you. He comes in grace and says, I want to move into your experience. And if you say, I have a new heart. But my mouth is getting me into all kinds of trouble all the time. I want you to begin to say, God, where in my heart is this? What's going on? Where is this wound? What is what is taking place? Would you begin to reveal to me, Holy Spirit, where this place is that continues to to react in these ways? To use your words wisely and effectively, not only do you need to know the source and deal with that, you also need to be aware who is speaking. You need to put the right label on what's going on. Past few weeks, I've been talking about Proverbs, and we've looked at how you can use your authority and lead and manage people. And we've talked about three different kinds of people. And last week, we were speaking about anger, and we realized that anger comes out of three different kinds of people. And anybody remember what those three are? They are? Oh, man, someone learned something. Praise God. Well, say it again. What was it? Wise. And then what's the second? Foolish. And the third? Evil. Proverbs is really pretty simple. That's how it'll show up. When you read through Proverbs, we, we find this again and again. The wise, it says in Proverbs, the wise person controls their thoughts, the stuff going on in their heart and uses their words positively. They recognize and they've asked for a new heart. And when this new heart comes, now they say, Holy Spirit of God, as I see these things coming out, I need you to begin to work in my heart because I need to allow you through the Holy Spirit, through my choice, you'll be responsible for what you say to begin to choose words that actually build up and give life. It says in Proverbs eleven twelve, whoever belittles his neighbor has no sense, is a fool. But the one who has understanding is wise. Holds their tongue. Tell a wise person by the one who can restrain their tongue from speaking those things that bring hurt and harm. Now, it all comes out of your thoughts, right? Your words flow out of your heart. And the wise person learns how to kind of stem that flow by the power of God's spirit to the choices they make. Now, I was thinking about it. How many words do you think you say verbally speak out during the day? How many would you guess? There's all kinds of, there's different studies and counts, but the ones that I found that are most consistent is somewhere between 10,000 and 15,000 words you speak a day. And if you're a fast talker like me, you can get 20,000. And I was thinking about it. 
If it's going to be that we're wise, we have to pay attention to the thoughts and the words going on in our heart. How many words do you think you say to yourself without saying them out loud to anybody in a day? So you say ten to 15,000 out loud. How many do you think you say to yourself? Isn't there, sometimes you just want to say, just zip it to your, your, your self-talk, right? How many words? I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting question. So, um, but the key is this. The wise person learns to control those thoughts, process those thoughts, and wisely, with God's help, use them in positive ways. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, the fool does something different. The fool is, again, um, reactive, are controlled by their thoughts, and they speak thoughtlessly. That's what we find in, the, in Proverbs. The fool differs in one significant way from the wise and even from the evil. The fool just gives little or no thought to what they say. They're more reactive. And it may be that they've, you know, something was said and they're hurt and they'll stew about it and everything else. And at a certain point, at the right time, it just spews out. You know, it's that kind of thing. It, 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 Proverbs tells us in, in chapter 15, verse 2, the tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. I um, one time had some friends come up. The guy was a naturalist and had his degrees in this. And I thought, well, I'll take him to the Minnehaha Falls. You know, that'll be a cool thing for him to see. And so I take him to the Minnehaha Falls. I didn't realize it was a drought. I hadn't been there really before. And it was a Minnehaha trickle. Seriously. I mean, it was like trickle, trickle. And so just a few years ago, I went back there. I hadn't been there for a while. And it was a time when the Lake Minnetonka, the water table was really high. And it was a gusher. It was loud. I mean, you get closer, it was deafening. It was just gushing out. So out of the overflow of the heart, the fool just gushes out. And it creates great harm and destroys and hurts. That's kind of the idea that you get here of the fool. The fool doesn't stop the thought process. Doesn't, doesn't allow the Holy Spirit in to, to begin to purify and guide their hearts and their words. The fool doesn't do the self-reflection. He says, where is this coming from? What's the hurt? Have I, asked, have I gotten this healed? See, a lot of times people think, well, the moment I ask Jesus in my heart, then everything should be just fine. My heart's going to be good. You know what? The whole process of, of beginning to become like Jesus is a whole rewiring of your brain. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a work of the Spirit where you employ your choice. And over time, you begin to develop new habits that begin to reflect itself. But you know what those habits Habits won't change unless you get to the point where you say, God, reveal to me why I keep spouting out in this way, why I keep complaining, or why I keep um, using my words with anger and strife. And, and as you kind of begin to start, you say, God, I've got to do something about this. The fool is the one who doesn't, doesn't do any of that stuff. They don't ask, what would Jesus do or say? In Proverbs 17, 28, it states this, that this is what I think is kind of cool. You can even be a fool and look really wise. Do you know that? I'm going to give you a trick. You've read it maybe in Proverbs. You maybe never heard of this before, but here's you can you want to look really smart. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. The less words you speak, the more wise you might look. Why? Hasn't said much, but why? Must be really intelligent. My advice from counselors and from all research suggests that with regard to anger and all kind of reactiveness from the wounds that we have and the sin in our life, that all of them say, stop, do nothing, relax, rest, go to a place of peace, allow for your heart to begin to process and wait till God, if you choose, invite him in to do the work you need to do so you can speak well. The evil person, guess what the evil person does? The evil person intentionally uses their words 
to harm and destroy. And here's the operative word here, intentional. This is not just the gushing forth of the fool, although evil people can, are, are often like that. This is the person who takes it one step further. And instead of inviting the Holy Spirit to clean up their heart and to begin to change their thought process and the habits to begin a life-giving kind of word-speaking kind of person, this person goes ahead like the fool, but allows those thoughts to continue to churn and now begins to intentionally plot and scheme and say, how can I use this word to hurt someone? And we kind of sit here and go, man, I'm the evil person. How many have ever thought and schemed and plotted and, and actually taken a grenade like a word and thrown it in the lap of someone else in the midst of a fight? How many of you, you know, allowed your mind to begin to start to think about this thing and begin you're defending yourself and you're going to come back and you're going to combat and you're going to, you're going to get the right word and you're going to make that sting? Every one of us cross the line. All it's as simple as this. It's beginning to do move into a place of this kind of self-righteous heart of pride. And then you begin to say, oh, you know, and then you use your words like a dagger as you stick it into someone who really deserves it. Right. Proverbs six, verses 16 and 17 says this. And you've got to catch this. He's just the, the evil person, the intent to harm. Six things the Lord hates. Seven things are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue, which refers to the given to a pattern of lying. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. It's a thought process. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness that pours out lies or lies under oath. And a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Three of those refer to what we say. All of them refer to the intent to harm. One of them, the first one, haughty eyes, speaks of the condition of the heart that says this. I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one who makes the rule. I'm the one who got hurt. I'm the one who deserves to get back. I'm the one that's going to live this life. I don't care about you, God. Now, you may not do it in that blatant of a way, but that's what's going on. And that's what God hates. In fact, if you read about it, it's, 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 he says it's detestable. See, Arab and people, when you want to really boil it down to, are the most insecure people in the world. They can be a CEO of a large company and be incredibly arrogant. And you know what? It's been probably driven by insecurity. When you come across that in someone else, the first thing you can do is go, well, wait a second. What's going on in that guy's heart? I don't need to do this. But anyway, that's a whole other message. Anyway, David experienced the constant attack of evil people. And so in Psalm 64, 3, another wisdom literature book, they sharpen their tongue like swords. They aim cruel words like deadly arrows. The message says poison tipped arrows. It's the kind of words that you can just lodge in there and it's like poison. It begins to seep out and destroy. Psalm 140, verse 3. They make their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. You know how a serpent's got this forked thing? It's kind of what we kind of said. That's the whole idea of lying. And poison of vipers is on their lips. When they bite, they give you the viper. And I doubt there's a single person here who could say they've never crossed the line to evil. Never lobbed a word like a grenade. Never stabbed a heart piercing a person with grief. Never intentionally used words by sharing a story or just saying, you know, this is what's in, in cause to hurt someone's reputation. And this is the practice that says in Proverbs of the evil heart. They become artisans in lies and develop razor sharp tongues. They love evil more than good. They call black, white. They maliciously gossip and their intent is harm. 
So if you just stop and say, what's going on with the source of my mouth and these words, and you begin to really honestly examine that, and that's what God might be talking to you today about that, then you move to this place where you start to say, okay, who's talking? When I look at myself, here's a really, I encourage you to do this. Ask someone close to you, what's it like to be on the other side of my mouth? If you were to describe the way I talk, I'm usually more wise if you give them the definitions, the fool, or is it evil? And then there's this whole idea of how you use your words in a right way. To use your words wisely and effectively, you need to understand how you can use words. How are the right and wrong ways to use them? Because every day, in every situation, in every conversation, in every letter, email, text, tweet, Facebook posts, I don't care how you want to communicate, in every one of those, you have a choice. You have a choice to use your words in ways that give life, or you have a choice to use your words in a way that harm. You have a choice to use your words in a way that build you up or build others up. You have a choice to use your words in a way to tear someone down or to somehow belittle them, or you have a choice... To use your words to inspire and to inflate and to encourage them into something that they maybe never thought they could be. And the choice is ours. Proverbs reveals there's a number of ways that the wise person uses their tongue. And I think it's kind of interesting. I, um, some of you know the ministry of Joyce Meyer, my aunt. No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got you on that one. Anyway. Um, She's so funny. She says lots of people say that Jesus saved them, yet many, you'd never know it by the words that come from their mouth. And she has a series of messages that, that is titled, Is Your Mouth Saved? Has salvation reached your mouth? That's a great question. If it has, it will show up in some of these ways. You will be a person. One of the ways that Proverbs says is you'll give wise counsel and sound advice. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, chapter 1031. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, chapter 157. Oil and perfume, you know how you smell it? Make the heart glad. Oh, that smells good. So a person's counsel is sweet to a friend. Oh, that just, those words, that was really helpful. You don't have to be a a trained professional counselor. You can be a person if you are willing to grow and take responsibility for your for your life before God and begin to move into the the truths of his word and become obedient to him and begin to go through those things. You can be the kind of person through when you learn through your experiences that you can begin to share with someone else and you can just sit down and, you know, just this is what I learned, not kind of tell people but more. This is what I learned. And you can you can you can be like oil and perfume and they're going to go, wow, thank you. There's also ways to use them, your words that, that, that sometimes are painful. We, we, we get this idea when we talk about giving our words in ways that are positive and life-giving, that somehow they're always just these sweet kind of frilly kind of words. They're not. You can use your words with reproof, and you can rebuke, and you can correct, and you can exhort. In fact, that's a, that's a very important way to use your words. I think about this um, when you when you think about this idea of, of doing that, it, it really takes courage a lot of times to do that. But it also takes for you on your part as a person who might be in a listening situation, the encouragement to draw the person out. 
And earlier this week on Friday morning, an elder and I had met with another individual. There's a couple that had been coming to church and they've been for a year and a half and they were just finding some frustration and they had some things that they were concerned about. And I thought, well, let's meet because, you know, we need to listen. So we sat down to listen and took a pad of paper and said, well, just help us learn. Let us get what's going on. Person shared some incredibly wonderful things for us as elders and for us as leadership to understand. And then as we got to kind of the end of it, um, I looked at him and I said, is there anything else, you you know, you need to share? And he kind of laughed and said rather offhandedly, I would love for Wyzetta Free to be a such and such. And he kind of trailed his voice. And I I said, don't tell me a little bit more about that. And not whether we could actually do what that person wanted. But one of the things I've learned, and I learned it from another leader, not necessarily great at this. I've been trying to grow in this. But he would always say this. He said, you know, people will share with you 90 percent, but they'll leave the 10 percent in their pocket. And that's probably the most important 10 percent. And so as a leader, he said, I always encourage people and I try to do this. I will give the full 10 percent and not leave it in my pocket. And so that's why I was asking. I said, you know, just I really please share that 10 percent. So, you know, that was a neat experience. God did some cool things. And so then on Saturday, I'm sitting with my wife and across the counter, we're talking and she says, and can I share something with you? And that happens. I'm going, oh, no, I can. You know, can you the tone of voice? And she began to share, and we spent about 15, maybe 10, 15 minutes on that. And, and I don't know if I was listening, like, super well. I tried, you know. And, and then I could just sense, because, you know, I shared this the first service. My wife was here, so there's no problem sharing this. And one of, one of my um, weaknesses is I'm kind of out there and don't necessarily have some of those good wall boundaries sometimes. And someone of my wife is really good. She has a wall, and she can kind of hide behind it. And I kind of felt like maybe she's doing that. She's gotten really good. She's courageous. And, and, and some of you women may understand, and some of you guys maybe as well, that you need to get out from beneath the wall, from behind the wall and, and share what's on your heart in order to have a good relationship. Otherwise, you don't have a relationship. So I kind of called her out from behind the wall. And sometimes I said, why don't you share with me? And, and I said, you know, and I gave the 10% thing because I preached on it. You know, better practice it. Anyway. That was about an hour later. She had laid out 10%, which was really a huge part of what needed to be talked about. You see, the wise person is willing to courageously step out from behind the wall and and correct. And that points rebuke and not to do so in a self-righteous way, but to do so in a way out of love and care and concern. Proverbs states this. A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Stripes and wounds scour away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts. You kind of go, whoa, what's that about? Is that about we're supposed to be giving physical punishment? That's not really what this Proverbs is saying. Proverbs is saying, in a sense, sometimes only pain gets into the heart of a fool. Uh, Some of you may have been going through certain trials again and again. You know why God allows you to go through trials? He allows you sometimes to go through a trial so that eventually you may hit the wall. The pain of that might go, I got to do this differently. And sometimes God, when you're going through that, puts a person who is loving and wise next to you and says, you know what? I saw you hit the wall the last two times. I see it coming again. Are you open to that? Are you willing to do that? That's a right use of the words. In fact, um, I, I read this quote. It's impossible To measure the value of reproofs and rebukes offered from a godly and wise person, especially when such a person's concern is accompanied by, catch this, love, discernment, good timing, proper motivation, and genuine interest. 
That's the platform. And then they quote Proverbs 25, 11 and 12. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is like a wise man's rebuke to a listening, humble ear. Encouragement and comfort. Another really good use of words. Proverbs says it's one of the most life-giving tools that comes out of the mouth of a person. A soothing tongue is like a tree of life, 15.4. A person has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word, chapter 15, verse 23. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones, chapter 16.24. I've often wondered throughout the years of my ministry, as I've looked at people with their gifts, and I've noticed there's a couple gifts you find in a lot of people. There's the gifts of what I call helps. You know, they love to serve, you know, just, just put me behind the scenes and, you know, all I need to just tell me to do, I just want to serve people. And there's another one that I find so often when you look at people's kind of gifts mix and they put it down, it's encouragement. Yeah, I, well, here's another encourager. I kind of was wondering, God, you know, why didn't I get that one? Anyway, um, all these encouragement gifts. And, and I read something that someone sent to me just a few weeks back, and I, I put it in my file to, to look at it later. And then as I read it, I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. It fits perfectly. It's called The Greatest Tool of the Enemy. It's a modern-day parable. Some time ago, an advertisement appeared in which the devil was putting all his tools up for sale. On the day of public inspection, each one of his tools was marked with its selling price. And then the tools, there was hatred and envy and jealousy. And the table was doubt and lying and pride and so on. And they were all there on the block for about a certain amount of money, same price. But set apart from all the rest of the pile was this harmless looking tool that was very worn, but was very high priced. And it had next to it the label discouragement. And someone had asked the, the, the devil... Why is that one so high priced? And he replied, ah, that one is more useful to me than all the rest. With it, I can pry open a man's heart and enter. And when I cannot get near him with any other tool, I use this one because once inside, it can lead him any way I choose. The tool is very worn because I use it on almost everyone. Since few people know it belongs to me, they don't even see it. I'm, I would... Venture to guess the most common way that the enemy comes into your own heart and the way the enemy will begin to kind of um, cause you to lose your your energy and your excitement. And he will seek to cause whatever you're doing for good to begin to to stall out and, and to redirect your path is through discouragement. And that's why I began to think, ah, that's why the tool of encouragement is so important. Because the enemy just loves to sow discouragement. But here is God giving to the believer one of the most powerful gifts to counteract it that we can, through our mouth, use in the life of someone else. And that's this word of encouragement. Just think for a moment the impact you can have. Think of someone right now. There are probably people around you where you work, where you are maybe in school, or where it is that you um, are in a social group, or here in a ministry, who you just know, if you just were praying about it, there would be some words that you could give that would probably change and, and, and help them in the course of their, of their direction in life. I think you can speak words of life into those who desperately need to hear it, like a college student, maybe away from here, who's just trying to adjust to and experience it. Or I think of our missionaries eh, who are serving, like even in Mongolia, I mean, this time of year, you know, they're like 30 below. And just a note how that can change what's going on. Someone who you work with, 
Someone in your family. We have the power in our lips to rekindle a discouraged soul. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Our positive words towards another, they reap eternal reward. We don't even realize the power. And so it says, So encourage one another daily as you see the day drawn near. And then you can teach and tell others about the love of Jesus. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver. The lips of the righteous feed many. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he who is wise wins souls. The words of man's mouth are deep waters. The fountains of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It just gushes forth. You have opportunity. There are people here. There are some individuals here who God has given the gift to teach, to come alongside someone and to help them grow. It may be to mentor someone who's young. It may be someone who's teaching in in our Sunday school kids ministry. It could be the opportunity for you to teach and lead in a small group. It could be teaching before a group of people. But God gives these gifts. And think about it. Every person here, the reason you probably are growing some some degrees to the way that you are is because someone came alongside and taught you, whether it was from the pulpit or from some other place or from a book that's being read. And I just want to encourage you. You need to use your teaching gifts. We'd love for you to use your teaching gifts here in whatever way that would be. And there's also another thing. It's the opportunity you have on a daily basis when there is those moments and you know it's right and the platform has been built out of a good and loving life next to someone else. You have a platform for you to share and tell them about Jesus. I love what Francis Assisi says. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. There is a sense that you need to use your words sparingly. Especially in our culture today, because everyone wants to use words to try and influence people. Use your life. Preach the gospel for your life at all times. But you know what? There are going to be occasions, and I just encourage you, you step up to the plate and say, you know what? I've been in this group. I'm learning some things about my faith. And, I, and, and do, you, do you open a door and then share? We have, in, in a couple of weeks, uh, my friend John Orper, who's a great um, communicator, is coming. And we have cards out here, and we're sending them to the community around. If, if you have an opportunity, there's someone you, you know, you're praying about. Um, if necessary, it may be you don't have to even use words. You can just hand them a card and invite them. There's lots of ways that you can do that. Okay. There are wrong and foolish uses of words. Does anybody want to hear them, or do you know them already? You probably have a good idea of some of them. The foolish person and evil, they use them, but the evil person just with intent to harm. They flatter and boast. Psalm 12, 3, David writes, May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Boasting is all about trying to appear and look better and make yourself feel. It's really, it's a, it's a person who feels less than trying to be more than. And if that's going on, you've got to say, God, what's going on in my heart? Why, do I, why can't I just rest in the truth of the, the sense that you love me so much, you died for me, that my value is in you. I don't need to use my words to make people think I'm bigger and better than myself. There's flattering. It says, the lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Or as the message puts it, liars hate their victims, flatterers sabotage trust. Because flattery is merely compliments that are given out of wrong motives. It, you, you butter someone up because you're trying to get something. There's um, other uses of words. There's gossip and slander. He who repeats a matter separates in, intimate friends, chapter 17, 9, which is just gossip. And listen to some of these others. He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. 
A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. That just sounds like the gossip one. And he just called him a slanderer. You know what? In the word of God, a gossiper is really just a slanderer. We just like the word gossip because it's a little, you know, a little more nicer of a term. But guess what? When you start talking to people and you start sharing things that you know is going to be detrimental, you're a slanderer. That's what the word of God says. And you've got to ask yourself, why do I do that? Do I, have to, do I have to share intimate secrets with someone about someone else because it makes me feel closer? You've got to get to underneath of that. God loves you. He wants to bring healing to whatever drives that. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, too many within the Christian family, the church, still find delight and they run roughshod over other people. Now catch this. Some can appear quite sweet and gracious on the surface, but underneath may be filled with contempt. You know, they go around, they're just so sweet and they're kind and their words underneath their contempt as they gossip. He says they conceal their gossip with a smile and a passing comment like, I thought you just might want to know so we could pray for them. That's his slander. David prayed to God these words, set a watch, a guard, place a gate at the doorway of my mouth. In Psalm 143, 41 verse 3, and I think more appropriately, David, even though he's right in saying that, could have said, put four gates at my mouth. And in those gates of when it comes to, it's like Checkpoint Charlie, you know, the, uh, some of you uh, younger ones don't remember this, but Checkpoint Charlie, as you go into East Berlin, they would actually do this thorough search of the vehicle going through. So you do this thorough search of the vehicle, the words that are going out, and you say, is it true, gate one? And then you pass it through another gate, is it confidential? And then you pass it through another gate, is it kind? And then you pass it through the fourth gate, is this really necessary? Does this really need to be shared? I had someone after the service come to me and said they saw, they heard a real neat thing on, on one of the gates, and that is, if you can't improve the silence, just shut up. Complaining, murmuring, and grumbling, I just don't have time to go through this, but if you read through the Old Testament and you just see all the murmuring and grumbling, what's going on here is what happens when you grumble and you murmur and complain. It's just a form of not taking responsibility for your life. You think the problem's out here because you crumble. You've learned how to do it. It's just a habit. And if you do that, it just wears you out. Moses was worn out by the crumbling and complaining and murmuring. He said, God, how long do I have to put up with this? And what the problem really isn't, isn't out here. It's your attitude. And once you change your attitude, it changes your life course. So if you're in that kind of place and someone says, you know, being on the other side of your mouth, it's always a lot of grumbling. Take note. You will probably stay in the same place until you change that attitude. And then there's this whole idea of, of arguments and strife and anger. We talked about that. A fool's lips bring strife. A, um, his mouth calls for blows. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. An angry man stirs up strife. The angry spirit, if you're filled with anger... You, you've probably been hurt and wounded in some deep ways. And you're going to need to begin to understand where this energy is coming from. Lies and exaggeration. And I'm going to close on this and ask Joel to come. I, I honestly could spend an entire message on this because this is the heart of all the bad talk. It comes out of lying. I remember, I remember the, the first time I chose to consciously lie. It was yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was about six or seven years of age, and I was out playing in our yard. My dad had come home, and we were playing with some kids, and we started getting in a fight. I started throwing dirt balls. I hit a kid really hard. Good shot. It was, I have to tell you, I'm a little proud of it. Um, 
And he started crying and just everything else. And then my dad heard it. He says, you know, when they, he ran home and he, my dad brings me and sits me down. And uh, he says, so what happened? What was going on? I said, I don't know. We were playing and we got upset. And he said, did you do anything? Nope. And he said, you didn't do anything? Nope. And, and, and he said, um, what, what was going on? He said, I don't know. He's just a crybaby. Always. And I gave this thing. And I remember consciously just lying to him. And, I, and I, I didn't get the spanking that I usually get. And I walked out and I went, sweet. I can use, and this little mind wasn't thinking this fully. I can use words to manipulate reality. You know what the Bible calls that? Witchcraft. It's just witchcraft. You know what? I got to share with you. You can do something like that, and you can begin to make a habit out of that. And what you're doing is building irresponsibility in your life. I've counseled with couples. I had, I remember counseling with one woman who I had to share with, who was living with an inveterate liar again and again. It, and you know what? You will not have a relationship. You will not experience the blessing of God if you choose to live a lie. And I, I'm not coming down in judgment. I'm telling you, there's, you got, if you want to live in God's blessing, you've got to get out of it. Here's what Jesus said. This is what, at one point, he, he, Proverbs says this. Truthful words endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. So you might get away for a moment and escape reality, but you will still at some point be held responsible because it just gets worse. And then it goes on and it tells us in Proverbs, he who pours out lies will perish. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. He can't stomach it. It's downright evil, said Jesus at one point as he looked at some religious leaders who would not hear the truth and continually wanted to live in the lie and not become responsible for their life and recognize their need of God and their need for humility. At a certain point, he goes, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. There was no truth in him. And then he says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the native language of evil. And so I just want to I just want to share with you. You need to come to a place and say, God, what's going on in my heart? And you have a choice who you want to be. You're not going to be wise immediately. You're going to be wise as you continue to be obedient and you allow God to work in your heart and reveal and do those things. And then you need to come to grips with the fact, then how am I using my words? Are they right or are they wrong? And you begin to process and hold your tongue and use them to build life. Next week, um, I was going to go on to a different topic, but I wrote so much that I decided we'll do this next week because there's other things that I just would like to share because I think this is important for us individually and as a church. So as we kind of go into worship here, would you just bow your head for a moment and just say, and you just may need to say to Jesus right now, Jesus, and you maybe never said this to him before, but Jesus, my, my mouth is like a spark that just creates so much damage. I thank you that you're gracious and there is a sung, there's nothing that needs to be hidden. So I'm going to just open my heart before you right now. You see me, you see me with my lies, you see me with my flattery, you see me with my complaining, you see me with whatever's going on. You see me in my sin right now and you told me that you love me, that you took the wounds on the cross, that I wouldn't have to keep taking these wounds. Would you invite him into your life right now, into your heart, wherever this might be, maybe a brand new heart for the first time. You're bringing him and saying, Jesus, come into my heart, give me a new heart. 
Or maybe you're saying, Jesus, there's been a room in, the, in, in my heart that I've never really opened to you, but God, right now you're convicting me. Would you begin to heal my heart? I want to speak words that are true. So Jesus, right now, for every heart that's calling out to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, come into their lives, move into their experience, and begin to move them and create within them your goodness and your truth. And give them the, the choice to walk in, in responsible ways before you. In obedience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.